This is UKFI Pod. Welcome, y'all. As the first UK specific FI podcast, UKFI Pod aims to bring you stories and introduce you to characters in the UKFI space. Hello, everybody, and I'm really happy today to have Tuppany with me from Tuppany's Fireplace. Hi there. Hiya. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. A little nervous. Don't worry, don't worry. So what would be great to start with, would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Hi everyone, my name's um, Tuppany. I'm currently blogging anonymously over at Tuppany's Fireplace and my blog is all about, um, well it was originally supposed to be about fire, retiring early, financial independence, but I seem to have moved into the frugal movement somewhat because that is how I um, have achieved fire. Fabulous, yeah. When you said you've achieved fire? Yes. Was that an announcement there? Well, I guess it probably is really, yes. (laughs) We've been um, on the fire journey for 12 years although when we started um, I didn't realize it was fire and to be honest it wasn't fire that we were aiming for what we were basically aiming for is we wanted to move out away from the south coast and suburbia and um, into the countryside have a bit of land just to be a bit more self-sufficient more environmentally friendly etc and we knew that we wouldn't both be able to work to do that so therefore it was a case of save as much as we could in order to be self-sufficient in money as well as self-sufficient in, say, vegetables. As the years have gone on, it's been a bit more refined. I found various um, fire blogs. I found uh, Mr. Money Moustache a good few years ago, and it kind of just concentrated uh, my mind and sort of, I guess, put a name to what we were trying to achieve. And I'm not a spreadsheet person. Um, I really don't track my investments. Um, I don't do investments majorly. It's one of the things that perhaps I should have done more. But we are at the position now where if our jobs both stopped tomorrow, we would not need to carry on working in order to be able to survive. Um, So I guess, yes, we are fire in that sense, but we haven't started our fire life, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's congratulations. Firstly, that's great that you've got to that place where you're comfortable. If the worst happens, everything will be fine for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, we are yeah. very lucky in that because I'm a civil servant and have been for 33 years, that I've got a final, well, the majority of my uh, pension will be a final salary pension. So I don't have to worry about the 4% rule. I don't have to worry about the stock market or anything like that. That is an absolute given. I will have that. There's a tiny bit that's a career average pension just for the last three years. But again, because that came in right at the end of my career, I'm profiting from that in a way because I'm much higher up in the grade structure than if I was an admin officer starting out. It's probably good to put a bit of context behind this as well. I guess with that many years service, you're Probably a bit older than a lot of fire bloggers. Yes, yes. I had my big 5 birthday this year. So um, I am 50. I'm Congrats. also a grandma or rather a nanny, as my grandchildren insist on calling me. <laughs> I bet you're a cool nanny though. <laughs> I try to be. I am the nanny who has a race with my eldest grandchild every morning for school because there's two ways of getting to school. She runs one way and I run the other. They win. I'm always, I always have to have her backpack for some reason. <laughs> does she beat you? Um, unfortunately, she does. She's got very long legs. You also mentioned we in your talk. So is that your partner? Um, yeah, I have a husband. We've been married for 26 years now. So um, wow. and he's... He's been, um, he works at the moment as well. He's currently working in sort of uh, construction and that kind of, that area. Um, so he's quite a handy man around the house, which is quite useful. So um, but he's done a variety of jobs um, over the years. He was in the armed forces. So he also has a 
it's not a final salary pension, but I guess it's on a par, I guess. It's an armed forces pension, which he will get when he's 60. Um, He wasn't in long enough to get it straight away, but that will top up my final salary pension. You know, he's done that. And um, we've also been paying into, uh, he's got a self-invested personal pension, a SIP, that he knows absolutely nothing about other than that he's got it because I manage it. I like it. (laughs) He doesn't do the finances. I do the finances. Good. (laughs) I just tell him what he can spend and what he can't spend. Sounds good, yeah. So that sounds like the two of you have been working hard for many, many years. Certainly. I started work at 16. Oh, wow. And um, I've always worked full-time. I've been working since I was um, 16. I've had two lots of maternity leave. But other than that, I think I had a six-month period where I worked part-time at 30 hours. But then I was doing the same job, so I decided there was no point doing it 30 hours and not getting paid for it. So Mm. I've been full-time ever since. Another really interesting and fascinating part of your story is you became a mother quite young, didn't you? Yes, I was uh, your... I suppose a typical black sheep of uh, a middle-class family. So pregnant at 18, uh, baby at 19, definitely single parent. Um, and to add into the mix, and I don't know what the politically correct terminology is these days, but my elder daughter is biracial, I guess, mixed race, whatever you want to sort of call it. So, um, so yes, so you can imagine how, you know, traditional middle-class parents who both went to Oxford and Cambridge, how that went down. Oh, dear. They weren't really supportive. <laughs> um, they were. In fairness, they were supportive. <laughs> After they sort of dealt with the, you know, but the, the shock, I guess, Um but yeah, no, they were um, very supportive. Uh, and in fact, my um, mother guaranteed a mortgage for me. So she helped me buy a house at 19 um, in London and guaranteed the mortgage. And but obviously, I actually paid it because I had lodgers in and, and things like that. Oh, wow. So at 19, you're a single mum with a mortgage and... Yeah, yeah. And a job. full-time job. Yeah. That's right. And I was actually uh, worse off working than if I'd been on benefits, because in those days, the benefit system didn't help pay for childcare costs. Uh So I think I worked out I had something. I mean, we are talking 30 years ago now, but after I paid for my bus pass (laughs) and um, my uh, mortgage and childcare, I had I was living on 23 pounds a week. Whereas the benefit system, if I'd have been on benefits, I would have uh, got about forty pounds a week. That's really not right, is it? It no. seems a bit. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. These days, the benefit system is so much better. There's a lot more um, money that a single parent gets through child tax credits and, and child benefit, um, and so on. And they, you know, tax credits will pay up to whatever percentages of registered childcare, etc. But back then, it was family credit, and they didn't help with uh, registered childcare. Right, yeah. Um, so I actually had an unregistered childminder for nine months, I think, because I couldn't afford a registered childminder. Oh, difficult times, I guess, isn't it? Yes, definitely. I mean, and it got to the point, I think, when my daughter was 18 months old, and I've, I've blogged about it, I've mentioned it in passing, but my daughter literally had three um, changes of day clothing. So she had two track suits and a dress with a jumper I think and that was it and they cost two ninety nine from Dalston Market um, because that's all I could afford. Wow sounds a hard time so how did you get on from that? Um, how long was it that hard for? That It was probably hard for well even after I met my husband because when I met him and then I moved down um, out of London we couldn't sell my house at the time and obviously had to pay for childcare, which outside of London was actually a fair bit more expensive than London childcare. Um, and obviously we were then renting a place as well as paying for the mortgage on the other place. Um, so 
skint for a long time. <laughs> to be yeah, it doesn't sound like it got better magically. No. A man wasn't a magic. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was just one, you know, I mean, two incomes is better than one, obviously. And if you're both careful with money and you don't splash a lot, then you can make it stretch. Um, but uh, yeah, I we were never that flush with money um, for a long time. It's only, you know, I've got myself a couple of promotions hubby came out of the services and then went into a low paying job and then got a slightly better paying job so you know just over time things get a bit better we were lucky because we bought a house um because I'd bought one originally when we managed to sell that we bought one um down on the south coast it was um you know uh, mortgages um you could get a mortgage and you could afford a house i mean you know my older daughter has bought her own house um, but she's got a massive mortgage in comparison to what um, we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it, how much the house prices have exponentially grown? Yeah, I mean, I, um, there's no way that um, even on, you know, if I was starting my career in the civil service now, I don't think we'd ever be able to afford um, a house. I don't know how so many people can actually afford well I know how they do because they take on 200,000 pound mortgages which I just think if you're not earning 50k a year it's just so hard it is isn't it there's certain places in the country that are just no-go zones for people that are looking to buy houses yeah absolutely um I mean I couldn't afford because um, I had a house in London and I've looked at the prices of those houses now and Ooh. there is no way on this earth, even if I trebled my salary, I think I don't think I'd be able to afford it. <laughs> uh, it's scary that all happening in your lifetime, isn't it? It is. It is actually. Yeah, you can see it and you sort of you don't realise it. That's, that is what is going to happen. You look back and you just think, wow, yes. Because mm-hmm. even my house, this is a 1930s house. It was sold originally for five grand. Wow. I bought it six years ago for 250 grand. Yeah. It's now worth about 400 grand. Crikey. Yeah. But you just see that first amount was over about 80 years. And then six years, you're like, wow, that exponential growth is skinny, isn't it? It is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and when we're on the topic of money, as we are a money podcast, are you willing to talk about money details, income, general, specific? I can give you some um, specifics. I mean, um, in t- I didn't earn above, I didn't get a three, as in earn 30K, until I got my last promotion three years ago. So prior to that, I was earning less than 30K. Um, I'm mid-30s. Uh, K now um, I'd have to get yet another promotion and I'd have to be in London which I'm not prepared to do in order mm-hmm. to become a higher rate taxpayer so that isn't happening but I have That's to count more impressive. because obviously because I've had I've got the civil service pension that is probably worth approaching 20% uplift in terms of uh, what it's worth to me later on in my life so yeah I might be 35-ish K, but you've got to add on another 8K or so um, for that pension because I don't need to pay into, well, I am paying into my pension uh, a a chunk, but it's nothing like what's going into my actual pension that I will receive. A massive benefit, isn't it? It is, you know, and I I can't, you know, and that is one of the reasons um, why I stayed in the civil service, to be honest, because it meant that, bearing in mind I left school at 16, so I haven't got um, a degree or anything along those lines, I would have to do an awful lot of educating myself and um, it's not really my thing, probably because my mother would like it, so therefore I deliberately don't. Um, But it means that I can, you know, I've got my pension sorted. I don't have to pay out any additional money like we have to do with hubby um, in order to, you know, provide for our old age. Um, So, so yeah, so that I'm, and I earn um, a fair chunk more than hubby. Um, 
always have done. There's been times when we've been almost on a par and we get quite competitive at that stage. But uh, <laughs> for the last 10 years, I have earned more um, than him. Um, so as I say, so I have my, so I've got that salary and then obviously um, that will give me a pension. Um, Hubby's got his salary. He's got his, um, he's got a armed forces pension and he's got his SIP um, that we're paying into. In terms of our, investments as such i we've got stocks and shares isas that are predominantly in vanguard life strategy 60 percent, purely because i spent so many years reading up on etfs and oiecs and so on and they just don't make sense to me enough for me to feel confident to um, invest so it was when Vanguard came along and then Life Strategy came along. I thought, right, that's it. That'll do. That's good enough for me. <laughs> and that's where I've stayed. In addition to that, got loads of too much, I know, um, cash in uh, various short-term, longer-term um, ISAs and whatever's paying the best rate. And it's a bit of a contradiction in terms, but we've got about – probably only about 10k I think or less than that in peer-to-peer lending um for somebody who's a bit risk averse that seems a bit strange but it was one Mm -hmm. well the interest rates are much higher let's take a bit of a punt it's been a bit of a roller coaster um not enjoying it as much as I did in the beginning probably because one of the platforms went into administration um, oh, so you've not good but you know it is what it is um it wasn't a big chunk of our money there's so many people who've had a lot more money in there so I just kind of think well I knew the risks I was getting into it's just the same as the stock market it is a roller coaster I've just got to wait it out it's fine yeah it's not a problem that's a fascinating story actually I love how you've just worked for so many years in the civil service and got that gold-plated pension which has really enabled you on a modest salary to be able to be financially independent at 50. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is the, um, you know, we won't be um, drawing my pension um, until I think I've worked out that it makes sense to draw it to either 58 or 59 rather than the 60 that I can take it out full whack without um, being reduced, so to speak. But I'll play that one by ear. But obviously with um, Hubby, because he's got his SIP, we can access that from 55, which is in two years' time. So in between that time, when we do give up work, then what we'll be doing is we'll be spending some of our capital as in cash because we don't have enough money to do the 4% rule. We'd have to work for another 15 years in order to do 4% withdrawal. And we don't need to because we've got those pensions that will form the vast majority of our day-to-day spending once they kick in. Yeah, I love your approach. So how would you just generally describe financial independence or FI to someone, maybe someone new? I think for me, what I would sort of say is that financial independence, it's basically about having enough money to not work again if that's what you choose to do. And it's about being comfortable uh, with that. It's not all um, roses, because you've then got to think about what you're going to do. And also how much money I mean, you know, we, there's a in the fire uh, movement, there's talks about fat fire and fire and lean fire and all, all sorts. We are um, going for lean fire. So our annual budget will be around the 20-ish K mark, but that's Mm -hmm. what we spend now. And so that's fine for a lot of people. Is that after housing or before housing? That's after housing. Okay. So with a paid off house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So we'll have a a paid off house. We've been mortgage free for 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, So apart from the time when we accidentally bought a house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we got we got rid of that two years later. We bought a second house on the basis that was where we were going to retire to and then decided that we didn't want to move down to the West Country. So we then had to okay. build the house up and then sell it. So is it the lakes you're thinking of retiring to now? 
Yes, definitely. And it's, it seems to have stuck at the lakes, thankfully, having moved around half the country, it feels like. Um, I blame that on the husband. He keeps changing his mind. For me, I just want to live somewhere more countryfied, somewhere with uh, big landscapes and, you know, fresh air. And I just I just want to be, I just, I don't want to be in this rat race and all the traffic and everything. I find that really quite, the busyness doesn't really sit well with me. Mm-hmm. You wanted to escape so, the, to the country, really. Yeah, basically. Um, and funnily enough, we're having a bit of trouble sort of pinpointing, you know, for me, I would love to be able to do all the research and say, right, okay, this specific five mile or 10 mile radius this is where um, we want to live and there are properties that are within our budget with all of the requirements that we want so that's it we'll just wait until we're ready to put our current house on the market and then we'll know exactly where we're going to live it's not panning out like that so um, at the moment I'm threatening um, the husband with as soon as we put this house on the market I am filling in the form to the Channel 4 programme, Escape to the Country. (laughs) Find a house. Yeah, rural properties are much harder to to find and to shift as well than city properties, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they are. And the thing is, is because we haven't got um, a lot of money, uh, we're not looking to be inside the National Park or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, is we do want more space um I would love an acre it's probably not going to happen but you know so our requirements are a bit more um or more specific than um a fair number of the properties available I mean you could pick up a house um in parts of Cumbria near the Lake District for less than 100k but they haven't got a garden they haven't got a double garage or workshop for the husband you know so they're not of um, any use to us so we're actually going to be upsizing our house mm. when we move which um, makes sense as you'll both be spending all day there won't you exactly exactly yeah i need and i'm guessing grandchildren will come to visit and things like that yeah that's the plan the plan is that you know at the moment i see them uh once a week but the plan is is uh, when we go up there is that they'll come up and spend holidays with us um so i can help out daughter and her husband in terms of childcare for holidays uh whereas at the moment i'm helping out during the week yeah i think that is what lots of working parents have the challenge with as well don't they the massive long summer holidays yes yeah i mean uh, you know, and splitting them and- i mean i remember the school holidays it was just you know they're you have to plan them like a military operation and especially because a lot of um, schools tack on inset days to the school holidays and if you're using play schemes um, they don't run on inset days then you've got you know Christmas and play schemes and like don't run during the period between Christmas and New Year but I've always worked in public facing roles so the offices are open to the public so it's you know it's a constant fight for most parents to be able to afford the childcare in the first place and then if you can afford it it's is it actually available when you need it exactly yeah I think we when we were growing up we were lucky because my mum was a teacher but the problem was those in service days there were certain times where we couldn't get anything we had to sit silently in the cupboard or, or work for a while oh, yes yeah all those days you just sit there be quiet (laughs) you're not really here (laughs) yeah your mum must have been keeping her fingers crossed the whole time hoping that you weren't gonna you know kick off (laughs) one of these emergency situations that you always remember isn't it well I mean to be honest I mean I've I've done I mean uh, you know I um when my first grandchild was born my daughter was on a contract so the contract ended um, and then she so she started going for interviews um, and I remember one time she sort of phoned me and sort of said I've got a second interview but they want to see me today so I was working back of office at that time but I had a really important piece of work I was doing for my um, senior manager and so she brought the baby <laughs> to the office 
And so I had this baby in the in the office for um, a couple of hours, you know, even to the point of feeding her and changing the bum and everything. <laughs> you obviously can't do that on a, a regular basis. But, um, you know, and I was lucky that I wasn't working front of house because I wouldn't have been able to do it then. But it's, yeah. it's what you do. Um, Indeed, we all have to do those sort of things, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Here's a question. What would, would you say, if, do you think FI is achievable or available for everyone? I think everybody has the um, ability to do it. However, um, dependent upon their personality and their earning capacity and their earning ability is whether it will happen or not. You know, my daughter and her husband, um, there's no way they could aim for fire at this moment in time because they like to spend the little money that they do have um, in different ways. We've also got quite a big culture in this country of, you know, you only live once. So, you know, oh, I could be dead tomorrow type thing. But I think in theory, anybody could be. You just have to spend less than you earn. Um, and, you know, okay, I am not on minimum wage and neither is um, the husband, uh, but we're not higher taxpayers. We've never been higher taxpayers. Um, we live in an expensive part of the country, um, but not as expensive as, say, London or something like that. So it's possible, but you have to be willing to do what it takes in order to get there. Um, and a lot of people aren't willing to do what it takes. I mean, you know, the, the things that I've done, I've, you know, my work uniform is all um, bought from charity shops. Um, I have bought presents for my children when they were younger from charity shops. Um, we've, um, you know, not done up our houses. We've not increased our housing um, size, um, still living in a semi-detached standard house you know um, not gone on big holidays so anything it's possible for anybody you don't have to earn a lot of money the fact of the matter is is you have just got to save a decent chunk and it's probably a minimum of 20% of what you earn over the longer period and you've got to be willing to do that for a very long time because the lower your income the longer it's going to take hence me being 50. That's really good advice there actually would you give any different advice to people that are newbies or more advanced on their journey to FA? I think um, one suggestion that I would be saying to people is um, yeah living below your means is absolutely key but accompanying that you need to earn as much as you can once you, you know, if you, that's what you want, then you should be willing to do what it takes in order to earn more money. Because if you earn more money and keep your spending at the same level, then you can save more money. And that's what we did a little belatedly when I, you know, got my um, last, well, certainly my, my last promotion when I moved departments, I got an 18% pay rise. Now, prior to that, I mean, it might not sound a lot, but prior to that, I'd had 10 years of or seven years of 1% pay rises because the government caps civil service um, pay rises mm -hmm. at 1%. So, and perhaps I could have done more earlier. Hindsight, maybe I should have done. But certainly I would be saying to anybody is if you want fire, then you need to live below your means, but you also need to increase the means that you have in the first place. Yeah, some great advice. So it sounds like you've kept your expenses well in check for many, many years there. How do you spend your free time? Uh, free time wise, well, we have an allotment. Um, and so that can take up an awful lot of time in the um, summer, especially if it, we haven't got any rain, because it means going up there three times a week just to water. Um, and it's, it's one thing um, having an allotment and planting stuff and watching it grow and so on. But when it comes to harvesting, that's when the real work then kicks in because, you know, you pick five kilograms of green beans, picking's fine, but what do you do with five kilograms of green beans? So you then start getting into, oh, let me start making chutneys and pickles and so on and so forth. So um, the allotment takes up a fair bit of um, time. We really like walking, so we try and go for walks on a regular basis around the local area not just 
waiting until we go to the Lake District um, on our holidays. But then um, because I'm working full time and we've got those other bits, I need a lot of downtime. I was diagnosed with um, a health condition seven years ago, which means that I get tired very easily. So and lots of different things can trigger it. So driving makes me feel ill. White noise can make me feel quite ill. So I can't listen to, I don't like listening to, I like listening to music. I, my body doesn't like me listening to music for a long period of time. Um, I don't like having the radio on. Husband hates it because he likes to have the radio on all the time. He's used to listening to radio two on the building site whereas I will be if I'm at home I will quite happily sit in silence thank you very much you've got a lot of really frugal hobbies there that keep you outside getting in touch with nature yeah yeah and to be honest it always makes me feel I feel better being outside you know the the fresh air and 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 so on you know if I'm there are times when I feel rough I'm not feeling great if I can get out motivate myself as much as anything but if I can get outside into the fresh air and walk even if it's just for 20 minutes I definitely feel better for it feel more sort of calmer relaxed and you just yeah definitely well I I think everybody should try and get out walking a bit you don't have to you don't have to be in the countryside a lot of the walks I do are just round the streets because I don't want to get in a car in order to go to the countryside in order to then start walking. I just want to go out my side, my front door and start walking. Definitely agree. It's great to start from your home. And I guess if you move somewhere in the country, you're going to have amazing walks on your doorstep. That is one of the, um, you know, ideals um, for um, the new house is that, yeah, I can, you know, we can just walk out the front door or the back door and in the ideal world, just walk up a fell. It's probably not going to be quite that ideal, but if we can just go outside our front door and start walking, then that will be, means I'll be as happy as Larry. So as someone who loves the outdoors and nature, what's your thoughts on the environment and sustainability? And climate change? Um, I struggle with it quite a lot, actually, because having had to be frugal in my early years and choosing to be frugal as our money has increased, you know, things that are eco-friendly and green and so on, a lot of them cost more money when you're if you're talking about products. Um, and I've struggled with that quite a bit. But as we've sort of come through these last sort of few years, I just I've had to sort of think to myself, it's not acceptable for me to be frugal with my money at the expense of um, the environment. So, you know, I try um, I try hard not to uh, use the car as much. Um, yeah, that's a frugal thing, but also it's an environmental thing. We have a diesel, but I'm not going to start buying a new car. I remember somebody saying to me, oh, you should get an electric car. It's like, yeah, but what am I going to do with the old one? That is a great big hunk of metal that what's going to go in the ground somewhere it's better to keep that going rather than chucking out um, and buying a new one and I know from um, uh, a relation works in the car industry so I know how much pollution goes on from a car factory so I'm trying not to sort of you know add to that by buying a new car at the moment happens to also be frugal don't get me wrong but also things like uh, plastic, you know, I really struggle with that because at the moment with working and everything else, um, I'm reliant on going to the supermarkets. Um, I don't have um, a local market that I can buy all sorts of different things. I haven't got one of these shops where you can bring your own containers and, you know, get the stuff loose. There's none of that in um, the town that I'm in. Um, so it's really difficult. So I try and just go on the basis is I try and do any little thing I can uh, knowing that if I were living somewhere else I could possibly do more but I can only do what I can do at this moment in time. Yeah that's a good approach. See I feel a bit bad about carrier bags because I only started taking my own ones once they started charging you. I needed that nudge, I think. Some, I mean, some people do. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I try and, um, you know, I was doing it before that. I had them uh, before that and I use them on a regular basis, but I didn't have enough 
Um, and so I know I used to supplement with the 5P ones, but absolutely from that point on, I have made it an absolute mission to never buy a carrier bag in that sense. Um, so I am the person who goes into clothing shops and comes out with an arm of clothes because I'm not going to buy their carrier bag. And I think, okay, it's it's not just about, as you say, it's that impetus, isn't it? It's not just about the 5P. The fact of the matter is, what am I going to do with that plastic bag afterwards? Um, I don't use plastic bags from one week to the next, apart from when I'm doing my um, grocery shopping and I have got reusable ones for that already. So what am I going to do with this plastic bag that's going to help me carry these clothes um, from the shop to the car? You know what? I've got arms. Just carry them. Be done with it. I like that approach. So moving on, great to hear what your thoughts are on this was equality and privilege and the intergenerational challenges we are facing nowadays what are your thoughts society and how things are going do you think it's equal or do you think you, do your children have as easy a time as you did or a harder oh, time definitely much harder um you know you've only got to look at um the cost of um degrees um and education i mean you know i didn't go to university but my um, older brother did and, you know, he got the full student grant. And as a result of that, you know, and because that was in the times when to get, well, he went to Polytechnic actually, which is now a university, obviously. But, you know, he got his degree and that was worth a lot. And he now um, earns megabucks. He's Mr. VP of something. But I look at my older daughter. She's still got um, student loans. She's 30. Um, she's still got a student loan, partly because she's obviously had time out uh, with the, um, having babies. So she's not earned a lot of money. But her husband, he's still got a student loan. Um, and my she her um, loan was the tuition fees was a, a thousand pounds a year. Um, and her hubby's one was three thousand pounds a year. Whereas my younger daughter, her tuition fees are £9,000 a year. And you just sort of think, I look at the the cost of how much loan my younger daughter's um, taking out. And I just think, how is that ever going to be paid back? Because the sum total, she's had four years worth of um, loans because she did an HNC first. So that's probably approaching not, uh, 50 grand. Um, if not a bit more, to be honest, I haven't added it up. Well, I think that's how much um, the first mortgage that hubby and I had when we bought our first house together. Um, and I just sort of think so that is really difficult. And then you've got the housing. Um, you know, when um, we bought our first mortgage, we really stretched ourselves and we took on a slightly bigger mortgage than the norm was in that it was 2.67 times our joint income. Chances of anybody getting a mortgage and buying a house in the south of England on 2.67 times joint income, it's not really viable. You know, and, and then you look at just, you know, the, the job market. The job market has been dumbed down. So you've got a lot more um, semi-skilled uh, work or skilled work, but isn't paid well. There are certain um, professions that are still paid very well, but there's so many more where you are expected to have a degree, but then you start off on 14, 15, 16 grand a year. How are you ever going to get ahead, pay off your student loan, buy a house, support your family on those kind of salaries? Yeah, indeed. It's a massive challenge people are facing today. What are your thoughts on how we solve this? What approach should we take? Or is there one easy solution or many? Uh, it, uh, to be honest, I it's difficult, isn't it? It's because, you know, you're, um, it's not as if the government can demand companies pay more. I mean, I know we've got the living wage, but there is only so much that you can do. You know, we've got lots of zero contract hours. We didn't used to have that. Um you know, we have a lot of um, part-time work, um, much more so than we did um, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so it's really difficult. And I 
I haven't thought about it too in depth, but I, I think you know this whole business of uh, the student loans is a big one um, for me because it just means that you know the younger generation are starting out with massive debt. Now, some of them, I mean, like my younger daughter, her view is. I'm never going to earn 25 grand a year, so it doesn't make any difference what my loan is. And I think on one level, I think, but that's the wrong attitude. And then on another level, I think, fair play, because do I really want her worrying about her student loan? No, I don't. But I know a lot of students do worry about it. And I know um, there are people, young people who don't go to university because they worry about it. And therefore, their career choices are potentially limited because of that. So I think the student um, loan system would certainly be a really good place to start. And that's something that the government could do, whereas some of the other bits in terms of, um, you know, wages and hours and so on, that has to be in conjunction with companies, which is much more difficult um, to achieve. Because the other interesting point is, do you think the current situation of university and student loans do you think that encourages more diversity and equal opportunity to education or do you think that impacts people differently and influences them? I, I think part of the problem, I mean, I've, I've worked with um, people uh, from disadvantaged backgrounds. I volunteered at a, um, I was on the board of a community centre in a very deprived area. I've also been on the board of a couple of sure starts um, in the past. So, um, you know, so you're talking about um, children growing up in disadvantaged families, um, in families that are reliant upon benefits. The whole community is potentially more benefit orientated, etc. And Yes, the the whole business of student loan can seem very off-putting there, but part of the um, the issue uh, for children growing up in those communities is it's not just about poverty in terms of money, but it's also poverty in terms of ambition um, and um, expectation. There can be, not always, but there can be... Um, a situation where there's just no expectation uh, from um, family because they haven't had the expectation for themselves. They haven't achieved um, some of the things that you know people in different communities may have achieved. So they don't. The, the children are growing up with no real expectation of getting real qualifications, decent qualifications, higher level qualifications. Nor is the the role models aren't necessarily there about having a, um, you know, a really good career and stretching yourselves and doing a degree and maybe doing an MA later on and, you know, going up the, the levels within a, a company. Um, and so that and, and that's why there are things like the sure starts. And that's why there are um, the voluntary sector is there is to sort of um, help um, families and children to um, see things that perhaps they had no experience of and, and sort of like change that. So I don't think the student loans themselves are the full problem. I think they're just part of a much bigger, more complex problem. The circle poverty and deprived communities and leading to those aspirational changes, do you think they're getting better in the world nowadays or getting worse? Um, I don't think. I think you'll have pockets where you'll have people who um, break out of that and, and um, you know, get themselves careers and education and so on. But um, I think, unfortunately, at the moment, I think they are still not the norm. Um, they are the um, exception. And I don't know what has to change in order to, you know, snowball that so that there are more and more. Um, because obviously children that, um, you know, exceed the expectations and, and and suddenly you know get degrees and and you know have that uh, great career and so on they then become role models for uh, you know their siblings and for other people in their community and that's great but you know how long does that take for that to snowball so that others are um you know positively impacted by that mm -hmm. indeed it's a massive challenge we've got as a society isn't it 
See, I'm very impressed with all that volunteering you've been doing as well previously, getting involved in communities and sure start well, and really was, um, giving was back as part of um, uh, one of the jobs that I've um, done. It was, um, but I mean, I didn't have to volunteer for it. But um, you know, I sort of hooked in, so it it sort of fitted um in order to sort of like help out and the the community center literally where we live it's just around the corner um and um hubby worked there for about four or five years so you know when it's a community organization you end up going along to various um events they hold to sort of show willing and to be supportive and then you sort of look back and you sort of think "Mm, you know i could i could i could help here you know, I have something that I could offer um, and support. So as much as at the time when I ended up volunteering, I had no intention of volunteering because uh, I just thought I haven't got time. I'm too tired. Um, the fact of the matter is, is, um, you know, you sort of think but I could make a difference. Not, you know, I'm not talking a massive difference, but I could make a difference. And so therefore I ought to uh, because I have that capacity and the ability to do something that perhaps the person next to me is not so able yeah definitely that is a fabulous approach you've got there good time to ask about your blog who your target audience is and how people can connect Um, with you well my um in terms of my blog um tuppany's um fireplace my target audience well i'm sort of going through a whole phase here i i I started off my blog was like, yay, I'm a personal finance blogger. I'm going to be a fire blogger. And, you know, then I sort of started writing. I thought, oh, this is quite difficult writing. (laughs) I haven't written for a long time. And I've naturally moved towards the sort of the frugal bit because, as I said before, I don't do detail on investments and things like that. Um, And so I'm sort of still finding out who my ideal target audiences but certainly the people who are currently visiting are very much drawn by um, the frugal um, basis that you know making your money stretch further living below your means not sure whether um, my blog audience are all focused on um, financial independence I think not, but I have no stats to back that up. Um, I haven't got as far as doing surveys or anything like that. There's just not enough time. This blogging it takes a long time. <laughs> um, but in terms of contacting me, I am on Twitter. Um, and um, I have on my blog, I always reply to any comments that um, are left. And my my email is on uh, my blog as well so people can uh, by all means um, email me I've got no problem um, with that great so I'll put links to them on the podcast notes as well great so Daphne what would you do if tomorrow you got a one million pound windfall it's I'd all jump yours. up and down in glee I think would be the first bit <laughs> um, I did think about this I think, oh what would I do I think um it might sound silly. So uh, I've already worked out that I would I would um, allocate 150k to topping up what house we next buy because that would take us into a whole different bracket, and I would get my one acre that I really really want. Um, so I'm happy to pay 150k for an acre. I just don't have 150k at the moment for that acre. And then um, I think I would um, put six figures may say 100k to each of uh, my daughters uh, because that would make a massive difference to uh, both of them Uh, my older daughter it means that she could um, move to a bigger property um, a four-bedroom property because obviously they're bursting at the seams with um, three grandchildren running around Um, and my younger daughter it means that you know she's in her final year of her degree that would really sort of set her up solid whilst she, you know, found the next jobs that she's going to be doing. I'd also put some money away for the three grandchildren so that, you know, potentially if they go to university, if we've still got the student loan system, then that money um, invested will mean that they don't graduate with huge debt, but they actually graduate debt free, which would be perfect. I'd also buy a camper van. We used to have a very little camper van. Um, 
and we had that for a while, but we ended up not using it because it's just, it was when um, my younger daughter was um, still at home and needing chauffeuring everywhere. And she had things that were always going on on a Saturday and a Sunday. So we could never get away for the weekend. So this camper van after the first year ended up sitting on our driveway more often than we preferred. But yeah, so I, w- I would get a, a small camper van so that we could then go off for weekends, um, even when we go to the Lake District. So we would be self-sufficient. You could just park up and um, wild camp. Now, I've wild camped in tents before. Not really my cup of tea. Whereas uh, Hubby's loves it, would do it every day if he could. Whereas give me a camper van, small one is fine, and I'm happy. Just a comfortable bed enough warmth you know and um somewhere that I can brush my teeth <laughs> I'm not sure but what your answer is going to be to our next question actually do you have um, a financial spreadsheet um it's very very basic it doesn't really add up it just has numbers in it <laughs> so is it something no. you update often or <laughs> It does get often. It gets updated <laughs> yeah. more often than once a year. But um, and it, to be honest, it normally gets updated when the latest, you know, fixed rate um, savings account comes to an end, and I've got to move money around. So, um, you know, I think about two months ago or six weeks ago, I transferred some savings, uh, cash savings, from one account to an Atom, um, Atom uh, Bank um, saving fixed rate thing bob so i updated it then i haven't i hold my hands up here i have not looked at our stocks and shares uh isas for six months i think um because they're there i'm not if i looked at them it would tell me a figure but i'm not doing anything with them i have no intention of selling them i have no intention of moving them they're in vanguard life strategy 60 percent that's where they're staying because that's all i can cope with so i know i should possibly be a bit more on top of them but what would i do with that information so right now i'm not that fussed but they are it's more about where every piece of money is so that's what i use it more for so it lists out all the different accounts so um if i were to pop my clogs tomorrow the husband would know that we have an atom account because he doesn't have a clue you know and we have a i don't know leeds building society account and so on and so forth so that's Mm -hmm. the primary use um although having said that what i have also done with it and it is very very crude is i do have a page where because we're going to be drawing down our capital to actually spend or cash to spend i've actually listed all the accounts and then i've worked out right so this tax year or next tax year we're going to draw x amount from that account and x amount from that account and then you know these accounts are ring fenced for additional money for the lake's house and you know so i've done things like that in my own quirky way that sounds good you've got a perfect spreadsheet yeah. that works for your yeah. situation and as for the third question are you willing to share something you've learned lately with us it can be anything in any sort of sphere um, of life well right now all my energy in terms of learning is all centered on the um on my blog because I'm not a techie person. You know, I'm blogging from a refurbished Windows 7 netbook. <laughs> so um, even doing, I mean, I have no idea about um, coding, CSS, HTML, don't know anything about that. Um, so every time I pick up my blog and say, right, I need to do something, um, it's like, okay, I need to learn something else. (laughs) Um, There are times when um, I just sort of think after having done something a a really long convoluted way, I just think I bet you any money, any other person would have spent about 15 minutes on that, whereas I've spent about two hours. It doesn't help that if I look at something and then flip over to something else that my brain then forgets what I've just looked at um and so I have to keep flipping back between the two especially because it doesn't make sense to me so it's like um today I was learning how to um 
uh, on my blog I've got I put various pictures to sort of make it a, a you know a reasonable view so to speak um but I was learning how to um have the pictures so that if somebody wanted to pin something to Pinterest that certain pictures could not be pinned and apparently there is a bit of code that one has to use um and I found what the code was and I had that stored away uh, written down so that I could do it but then I was trying well how am I going to work out because I was doing it on a draft blog post it took me ages to work out how do I do it so I know it works and so I was like I need to do it on a existing blog post and then go and check what it looks like on the live version to see whether it worked or not and so on so it just so that was my challenge today I did succeed in my challenge and I have now put no pin codes on a variety of pictures for a draft blog post woohoo woohoo I'm impressed I never go to that level of detail <laughs> On a similar vein, as well as things, learning things, I often find lots of personal finance bloggers love hindsight and looking back at life. Is there anything you think you'd have liked to have done differently or approached think, differently? Uh, yeah, I, was, I, I thought about this. I mean, you know, I've I've made so many financial mistakes. It's untrue, really. But the fact of the matter is, is um, you know, you learn from your mistakes. So a lot of them I wouldn't necessarily say, I wish I hadn't done that. But the one that I think in reality I wish I we we hadn't done that was we um, at the start of this journey, as I said at the beginning, our journey wasn't about um, retiring early. It was about moving um, to the country and, and living a different lifestyle. Um, and back in 2006, we um, downsized our house. So we went from a three-bedroom detached house to a three-bedroom semi-detached house and we did that to reduce our mortgage because um hubby is very debt um, adverse and he absolutely wanted the mortgage gone as quickly as possible I didn't have a problem with that so that's what we did that was in 2006 and obviously with all the house prices that have happened down south the amount of equity that we've lost from if we were still in that bigger house or a comparable bigger house and have would have benefited from all of the um, increase in house prices, we'd probably have £70,000 more um, of equity to play with in terms of going to the next property. So, um, yeah, that is one thing that hindsight we should not have done. But hindsight is a wonderful thing. Indeed, it's so frustrating, but you can never no. change the past, can we? And moving on from a frustrating thing to a much more cheery thing, can you tell us when you're at your happiest and take us to your happy place <laughs> to make sure we end on a positive note? My happy place would be um, in the Lake District. Uh, well, it didn't have to be the Lake District. On top of a fell of some sort, having had a sort of, you know, two, three-hour walk, to get to the top of a fell, it would be fantastic views um, of other fells and you know countryside. Minimal people, as in no none, perhaps the odd family member. Sunshine, a nice breeze, a flask of soup, homemade soup, and a sandwich, and just sitting in there, sitting down, and sort of admiring the view, and just breathing in the fresh air, and just contemplating life. Wow. Yes. That sounds bliss. It's a nice, quiet, relaxing. Yeah. And having sort of done that walk, you've that sense of achievement as well. So, you know, you've, you're only there because you put yourself out a bit. Um, you know, you've probably struggled up a few rocky crags. Uh, you've got a bit hot and sweaty. Um, you might have stumbled a bit, but you've achieved something. So you have that sense of achievement and then you get that beautiful view and the breeze and the sunshine and um you know you can take that all in in addition to having that sense of achievement exactly it's got that full package well i think that's all our questions for today just to say thank you so much for taking the time to to spend with us it's been absolutely fascinating hearing about your story and i'm so impressed that you've managed to save so much and actually be in a position at 50 when you're ready to move on to the next Thank stage you so of your much. Life. And yes, we're uh, definitely looking forward to it. We're well, looking forward to hearing about it and your next stage Thank of your you journey. Much.
Thank you so much for your time Thanks. today. Bye-bye. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Show notes are on the website www.ukfipod.space. You can also send any questions through the website or email at hello at ukfipod.space. Our intro and closing music is Julie Maxwell's Zia or Freedom. Thanks for listening. See you next time.